This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. He'll give it up, get it back. Ronnie James on him. Simpson going to drive. Gives it up. O'Brien with the slam. Ties the game with 3.7 seconds remaining. KJ Simpson. And what a great decision he made. The handoff going by Brawny, and then the vision and awareness to dump it off. You heard the call there from ESPN as the Buffaloes take that to overtime. That game would then go to double overtime. The Buffs would win 92 to 89 over the USC Trojans. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left. Great Danny Bailey in the booth making everything work. Happy Monday to you. We start with college basketball because, of course, this year in the front range, there's a lot going on. Our call and text line is 303-831-1340. Sandy, the Buffs came down from, uh, came from back, I say, from 16-point deficit to claw and scratch. It wasn't like it was necessarily all in one big run. Uh, The Buffs were outscored by six in the first half and then, of course, outscored. USC by six in the second, but it wasn't one of those things where they they shut the door on Southern Cal. Uh, they had to to nibble and scratch and claw and continue to work their way back. To my mind, this is the first game that I can recall in which this team has actually showed the requisite amount of gumption to close a game, which I think has been their bugaboo all year long. I love that word, and I think you I thought you might like it. Uh, the situation. Accurately, uh, they were down with a little over nine minutes to go in the game by 16 at 65-49. For the remainder of the game, including the two overtimes, they outscore USC 43-24. But it wasn't an explosive kind of run contained within that Mm -hmm period of 19 minutes and two seconds it just wasn't you heard the luke o'brien dunk that tied the game in regulation right. 73 73 with about 3.7 seconds left usc got a shot off actually pretty decent look considering the amount of time left and how quickly they had to get the ball up the court on a pass by ronnie james mm-hmm. who strangely enough did not play at all in the overtimes he's out there at the end of the game and yet in the overtime period, number one, he wasn't there, and he wasn't there in the second overtime period. He only played 14 minutes in the game out of a possible 50. Uh, that's a story into itself. It is. But, but it, it, CU benefited more by not losing than it did by winning, and a little bit later on I'll I'll, I'll explain exactly what I mean by that. They also showed some real fight, or to use your word, gumption, I think for the first time this year. Uh, we saw it go in reverse against Cal right. on the road. Ugh. So Easily the worst loss okay, of the year. Yes. That was a bad loss, but in the same way that that was a bad loss, this was a very good win and well-timed due to the fact that CU over the next 10 days only plays one game and that's at home against Utah. And it's the first of three in a row at home, right. three game homestead. That's big. And they play Utah, Cal and Stanford who are basically in the second division of the PAC 12. So they're, they're 
even on the road, you'd expect to win two out of those three, if not all three. At home, you certainly expect to win all three. And if you do win all three, you're sitting at 11 and 7 with, with two games left. Yes, they're on the road, but one's at Oregon State, and Oregon State's in last place with a 3-12 and 12 conference record. And once at Oregon, a team that, yes, uh, is ahead of CU in the standings, but is 17 and 8. To CU 17 and 9, not really a lot to choose between CU and Oregon. And CU is now in fifth place in the Pac 12. Now, that's not good enough to no. get in the tournament because only two or three teams figure to get in. And, and you want a top four seed in the conference tournament because it gives you that buy in the first round. Yeah. So you really yeah. want you, that you want top, top four. four seed. You want top four. And uh, Utah helped CU by mm-hmm. beating UCLA yesterday. Now, right. uh, UCLA will have the one win over CU as an advantage, but you look at UCLA's schedule in the final five games, it's not easy at all. See, you could make up that one game difference. Uh, I don't know that they're two down in the loss column to Oregon in the league standings, three down to Washington, four down to Arizona. I mean, it goes without saying Arizona is going to win uh, the Pac-12, although Washington State is only one half game behind Mm -hmm. Arizona. And also only one, I mean, one game behind in the loss column in the overall record. Washington State's having a really good year, 20 and six. Yeah. And finally, I got ranked this week. Uh, Washington State is is ranked 21st. Guess who's number 22? A team we'll talk about in right, a few moments. Right. It, it is, uh, I look at these last five games, especially the three at home you're talking about. I feel, quite frankly, that you probably, I think they probably need to win all three. I think they need to win four of their last five. Oh, I, I really agree. Do. And and you, they will you be favored to win for their, their last five. five. You could lose to Oregon yep. potentially, potentially. And, and still be all right as that, long as you lose the other. You got to win the other four. That wouldn't be a bad loss. And, and win the other four, you find out that all of a sudden now you're you're a you're a twenty one and ten team at the end of the year. That's a more than respectable yeah. record. You would possibly, I think, if you win four out of five, you would probably end up in the four spot. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think I so. think you'd sneak past UCLA and I get that so. four spot, yeah. and then you take your chances, and then hopefully you know you win at least one tournament game. Well, you have to. Yeah, I think you still think would you have, have to, go, to win two. I think you have to go twenty-one think, yeah. and ten, and win. Yeah, maybe win it is two, but I think you got to finish twenty-one and ten and win maybe two tournament yeah. games. I, I and then you're so. probably good. But they I, they put themselves. It maybe it all wouldn't have slipped away, Sandy, with the loss. But it, it feels oh, like it might have. It, it it would have set them up to basically have to win out. And, and I mean, and maybe including, including the, the tournament. tournament, right? So that's what eight games, nine games right. in a and row, whatever. That, 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 that's probably not going to happen. Um, I, I want to mention Luke O'Brien simply because we we heard the dunk uh, that tied the game at the end of regulation, but the run began when they were sixteen down with a little over nine minutes to play. When Luke O'Brien hit a three, Luke O'Brien was Luke O'Brien really was critical to their win, and Tad Boyle's coaching was exemplary. He went with a small lineup. He took a chance. Uh, Lampkin only played 21 minutes and was not in foul trouble. But I think he looked at the matchups through the first 30 minutes of the game. And he knew they needed points. And they also needed someone to contain Isaiah Collier. Yeah. Who's 
seemingly a stronger player than Cody Williams. Both are freshmen. The difference is Collier's been hurt most of the year mm-hmm. with a broken hand. And though Williams has been hurt on two separate occasions, he's played in more games. The other night, the mismatch of the night to the first 30 minutes was Collier torching Cody Williams. Collier, or, Collier I mean, was terrific. I mean, on both ends of the floor, really dominating Cody Williams. So he changes the matchup by subbing Lampkin out and putting O'Brien in, and he puts O'Brien, who's a very good defensive player, on Collier, and it slows Collier down, makes him just a little less efficient, a little less productive. And, of course, there was a three-point shot by Luke O'Brien uh, that cut the lead from 16 to 13, and there was the dunk at the end, and there were the nine points, four rebounds, one assist, one block, and only one turnover in 30 minutes out of the 50 of game action. And as I say, he played basically the last 20-plus minutes of the game or or, or thereabouts. And I I thought that was a big key. Simpson was extraordinary, 24 of his 30 in the second half in the overtime. Uh, Hadley had a double-double, 13 points, 10 rebounds. De Silva was clutch, uh, 18 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, only 2 turnovers in 46 minutes. Uh, Cody Williams, again, struggles to not so much make a high percentage of his shots. Again, the other night, he he was 5 for 6. How is he only taking 6 shots in a 50-minute game uh, of which he plays 41 minutes? And finishes 14 points, okay, but only four rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block, and seven turnovers. I really and the turnovers killed CU. They did. That's the reason they were down 21 16. Twenty-one turnovers. They finished with twenty-one turnovers and only fifteen assists. Yeah, that's as a team sort of remarkable. You won. And quite you know frankly. they they needed to shoot fifty-two and a half percent to win. They needed to shoot forty-five percent on threes to win. They needed to shoot twenty-nine free throws to win. And CU's a good free throw shooting team that did not shoot free throws well. Uh, the other night, uh, Simpson missed a couple, uh, one overtime, one in regulation. If he makes the one in regulation, in theory, they, they might have been able to win uh, in regulation. Uh, even during that run, they're up four in the first overtime with under 50 seconds left. And basically, with that kind of advantage, you have to do just about everything wrong, and the mm-hmm. other team has to do everything right just to tie it and yeah. force another overtime. That's kind of what happened, and it, 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 that reminded me of the CU team we've seen all year. Their inability to close with a four-point lead and under 50 seconds and, left in the first overtime, but in the second overtime, they were great. They got off to a five-point lead and basically held steady, uh, for the most part, made their free throws. The defense just got better and better and better, and I thought Luke O'Brien – was the defender of the night yeah. on either side. Yeah, O'Brien with a, another critical uh, layup late as well in the overtime period. That the Every matter, point he scored it, was big. They, yeah, they were, they were decisive. O'Brien, by the way, uh, one of the local kids, uh, Columbine High School exactly. product out of Littleton. Exactly. Cody Williams' game, I, I made it a focus in this game to watch Cody Williams a lot. I kind of wanted to get a feel for for him. The five for six shooting, again, you're right. You look at it, jeez, you know, talented score. How, wait, How does he only shot get more? six shots? And, and I think that what you see, this game in microcosm was part of it. You see the the physical ability. Uh, you see, and, and if I'm looking at it as from an NBA scout, or because that's where he's going next, I, I'm actually pretty excited about the idea that 
he wants to play in a team format. Some of those seven assists have to do, uh, pardon me, turnovers. Seven turnovers. Turnovers, <laughs> three assists, seven turnovers. But some of those turnovers happened even on spots where he may have been the best guy to take the shot Yes, and passed on it. And I think he defaults to Simpson's leadership in particular. And while those are commendable. He defaults to Simpson and he yeah. defaults to De Silva. And those are commendable instincts for a young player. At the same time, you, you do see why, even though he will probably be a top five pick in the NBA draft, the, the game needs refining. But all the tools are there. And the mistakes with the ball are problematic. They very easily could have cost the game. At the same time, there was effort on the defensive end. There was movement without more, the more ball. More so in the last one. As, as, as the game went along, I think you saw him grow. I, I think you're talking about a guy that is a really promising player. A CU's not going to get the very best version of Cody Williams, another NBA team down the road. A couple yeah, well, years will. Uh, we, we talked about this on Friday. Uh, I, I understand that it, this is supposed to be a weaker draft class, so if he goes out, he'll probably get picked sooner in this draft than he would if he waited a year. But you can say the same thing about Collier, and I I think if if they're yeah, both look, available, Collier was uh, the better player after the first, second, or third game. pick. I, I take Collier every time. He's got an NBA body. Cody Williams is 180 pounds and right. 185 soaking wet. I mean, he's a string bean. He needs so much more strength. Yeah, Collier's so much more a, physical. A solid six five two ten. Collier, you know, people forget this because USC's been so bad and. Andy Enfield, the coach, the most overrated coach in college basketball. Well, you mentioned the, the sort I mean, of bizarre ridiculous. nature of, of Bronny ridiculous. James actually being an important part of, of well, that the is, regulation, and his, then he never gets off the bench he's again. He's not Just playing weird. in overtime is the least of it with Andy Enfield because he isn't ready either. He isn't. He's not ready even to be uh, honestly qualified to make an NBA team, much less star for Oh, him. no, an NBA. Uh, I mean, no. no, no way. And – you know, he's a celebrated freshman. And listen, it's a miracle that he's playing at all with a hard ailment right. that, that during the uh, months leading up to the season. There's no the fact that he's that out there at all is incredible. He could take a leap in a second but year. Absolutely. I, I think we need to, to make mention. And forget about Andy Enfield and his background and his reputation among other coaches, which I've talked about on innumerable occasions here. And, and forget about anything relating to the fact that his program was under FBI investigation. that That's just a fact. Yep. Forget about that, though, for the time being. In the AP preseason poll, USC was picked to finish second behind Arizona in a Pac-12. They were picked as the 21st ranked team in the country. They are 4-11 in league play. They're in 11th place out of 12 teams, and they're 10 and 16 overall, and CU has whipped them twice, continuing since their little flare-up six years ago. Right. It it continues to be a head-to-head competition that has been dominated by the University of Colorado. With, With the exception of two or three games in the last six years, CU has just pounded on USC, and won at least three or four games that they had no business winning because Tad Boyle outcoached Andy Enfield. The the one thing you can say with confidence about Andy Enfield is with the exception of maybe one year, his USC teams have massively underachieved. I say, well, a coach's job is 
you know, maybe 60, 70% recruiting talent. Right. And he does a good job of that. Okay. But the other portion of coaching is getting the most out of that talent. And he simply doesn't do it. I mean, he landed you look Bronny at their James. Players Did Bronny in the James NBA. look any better? No, uh, but, from the beginning right. of this year to the end of this but year? My, Not really. My point is, look at all the USC players in the NBA and how good they are. And they didn't win anything at USC. Right. None of them did. Look at all the USC players now in the NBA who played for Andy Enfield at USC. And they're really, really good as individual players. But when they were at USC... Some of them playing on the same team or teams, they couldn't win anything. I don't understand that. And, you know, Arizona and USC were the two teams named in the FBI investigation. And there was more than, you know, other schools were investigated, but nobody got fired at those other schools. At Arizona, they fired people. Right. Including the head coach. Yes. At USC, Miller, yeah. they fired the assistant coach mm-hmm. who was centrally involved. They, he got fired. So maybe they did nothing criminal, but they did something objectionable. They got an assistant coach fired. The university thought it was enough to fire somebody. And so that was a decision. The FBI didn't fire the coach. Nope. University fired the coach. So any, anyway, um, I, I think it, Tad Boyle, I'd, I'd, I'd loved after the game, the, the, the Jumping up twice, we get him on later this week. I'm going to kid him about that. I didn't know he could jump that high even once, much less twice. But uh, had had both fists uh, in the air, and uh, that that came about when Ellis, who was terrific for USC, missed the three at the gun that would have uh, tied the game. And uh, just a terrific win for uh, Colorado. I, I think it's the first time I've seen them blend the talent with intelligent, gritty play. And it's the kind of win that you can build off of. That's the important part. And they have three home games next on the schedule. Five left to play. As Sandy pointed out, they should be favored in four of the five. They probably need to win four of the five. But, <laughs> but we're not yeah. having this discussion this, this right now if they didn't put away USC. And that required the biggest comeback they've had of the year. So good yep. news there. For the Buffaloes, of course, the Colorado State Rams. We'll talk about them a little bit later. The Colorado Avalanche played a uh, unusual matinee yesterday. Not only just the start time, which was new to the Avalanche, but uh, a lot of stuff happened in this game. A lot of challenges, a lot of overturns, a lot of interesting things. The important part for the Avs is they do get the win uh, with an important game coming up next. We'll look at the Avs win over the Coyotes and what it means next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. He's into the zone. He'll have to push it deep. Dumba. Proper position. McKinley got by Moser in the slot. Tip for Taves. He'll shoot and score! Devon Taves rips it inside the far post. 
You heard it there on the call on altitude. Devontae's with the go-ahead goal. Six minutes and 35 remaining in the third. Led the Avs to a 4-3 win over the Coyotes in a game in which goals were overturned for both teams. Uh, that kind of that kind of game on a Sunday. But the Avs come out on top. Nathan McKinnon, and we'll get to him a little bit later, a goal and an assist. Again, that's points in every single home game this season now, up to 26. But uh, Taves with the game winner, and also with the goal and assist in the, you're probably not going to guess who, Jack Johnson turning up with a big game for the Avs. Uh, th- this was one of those games at home against a team in, in Arizona that's not very good. And on a terrible You really needed run. to beat them, the and uh, it was probably closer than you'd like, but in the end, you know, the, the, the regulation W is what it is. The, the Avs will absolutely take it. But yeah, they had to dig deep. You know, you had to, your defenseman having to put in to put the puck in the net. You had uh, maybe the star of the game for the Avalanche wasn't even a player. In fact, wasn't even anybody who sits on the bench. No, it was Brad Heimlich, the video coordinator, video coach, what have you. And he basically tells Bednar, "Hey, you might want to challenge this." And honestly, at first blush, on the challenge that eventually proved to be maybe even a game saver for the avalanche. Uh, it, it was proven right, but on first blush, I, I looked at it playing, so there's no way that's offside. Um, the avalanche goal that was called back. That was easy. Offside. Mika Randall I mean, was, was all close. the way offside. That wasn't even close. Now, was, yeah. now, the thing there was that it happened about a minute before the actual goal was scored. The goal was legit, mm-hmm. but the puck never left the zone, so they could go back even a minute or more and review it because had it been called offside, the puck never would have stayed in the zone. I, I, I still kind of hate that. I mean, I'm not complaining that it went in the glass way, but it just feels that you go through the whole, I, I get it. It's a puck possession thing. And yes, it, it was a single that's, possession that's and that's probably fair, I but, it, but it, it does seem I weird to go back is. like a whole minute and say yeah. the entire possession started. Yeah. With an illegal possession, but it is what it but is. Man, and that's what the game was yesterday. And, and a sloppy game. The argument for Arizona would be of out of all of that trying to find the offsides as the puck's very, very, you know, floating through the air trying to figure out if the guy was offsides or not. So um, I still don't, I, I'm still not in love with that video replay challenge, even though it didn't benefit or hurt either team. They both lost a goal because of it. I, I still think of the playoff game, the Avalanche loss because Gabriel Landeskog's skate may or may not have been a millimeter off the line and, and I get yeah. there's a but letter I, of the I, I law and a spirit there, of the law. Yeah, I, I thought there, the, the, the fact that he didn't get off the ice and and was, it sounds crazy to say this about Gabriel Landeskog, but that he was not exactly in a hurry, in a hurry. That's true. Uh, to get off. And I, I just thought it was a careless mistake. But, I mean, I think he has long since redeemed himself many oh, times yeah, over yeah. Don't think uh, for, there. for that mistake. Um, I, I, I thought the game was... Actually, well officiated, but man, it was, it was one an endless game. It was all it was these sloppy. delays, and but I thought very poorly played. And they, you know, not teams that between them since the All Star break had won one game, and that was the Avalanche went on the most recent trip. Arizona hasn't won since the break. Their slump began before the break, unlike the Avalanche, who were playing very well before the break, and still have not found their game or even come very close to finding their game. And I, I thought yesterday again. There were some terrific individual performances, but as a team, they're not quite 
knitting together yet. And I know Bednar said when you're in a slump, you'll take points Mm -hmm. however they come because it isn't just going to click in all of a sudden. It's a gradual process, and this is the word the teams now in all sports use, trust the process, so on and so forth. And Bednar said after the game, the fact that we didn't deviate from it probably won us the game even though our play, or as coaches like to say, our execution Mm -hmm. wasn't especially good. Um, The one individual that I find over the last three or four games has actually been able to stack one good performance on another and then another and maybe another is Bo Byram. That's the most encouraging sign for the Avalanche. After the game, Jared Bednar had an opportunity to talk about his young defenseman, who, by the way, has six points in the last three games. Two goals, four assists, plus three during that span for the plus Avalanche. Plus two yesterday. And, yeah. and plus two yesterday. Here's what Bednar had to say about Bo Byron. Very noticeable. Yeah, yeah. You know, Prater had a meeting with Bo. They went over some things, looked at some video. Um, I think he was just, like, caught in a rut, you know. And right away... The last three games after that was the, the day that he watched they watched the video together um i just see a more involved player you know more assertive in all areas putting and, and he has the ability like when he's playing like that he has ability and the and the talent and the vision to be able to make plays and 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 help us score goals you know and that's what he's done over the last three games but i find when he's playing like that his defending's better as well well you, heard, well, you heard him talk I about saying at the beginning of Pratter talking about Nolan Pratt, Nolan the Pratt. assistant coach, Who, eight years one now of the with great the Avs. assistant coaches, yes. especially in the defensive area. Right, exactly. Uh, Former uh, defenseman himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's, I, I think, as a defensive coach, or to use the football terminology, defensive coordinator, he's as good as it gets in the world. Certainly be, seems to be I clicking with Byron. And it's a mystery to me why he isn't a head coach. Uh, he should be. He's great. And it, it that, that was it. He sat down with Byram. He looked at some film, tape, whatever. And he's engaged. Now, we talked about the goal he scored uh, the other night and how he was the only one on the ice who saw yeah, that the puck who, who, was still loose. Right. Everybody else, including Vasilevsky of Tampa Bay, who doesn't lose a lot of pucks, <laughs> thought he had the puck somewhere uh, underneath him between his pads wherever and byron was the one man on the ice who saw the puck was loose and jammed it in and and we saw mckinnon score last night when the play appeared dead but there were three or four guys pushing and shoving that's how strong mckinnon is that he was the one who nudged the puck through and got it over the goal line but that, that was different. It wasn't like everybody lost sight of the puck except McKinnon, and he just poked it in. No, he had to go two or three times against two or three guys who were all fighting for possession. It, Byram is more aware now, and again, it's the day and age we live in. You have a defenseman who needs to be going well on offense yeah. to defend the way he's capable of defending. Right. That's <laughs> and, and I know that, that's, that's a little. But you know what? That's a that's a modern player. Bass backwards, but it's a that's it's a modern it player. It's not uh, it it's not all that unusual. The truth is that to a certain extent, this year, this year, 
I would argue that Kale McCarr's been a bit like that, too. Oh, I agree. We know that there I are agree. defensemen around the, the league that feel that way, and so it's, it's obviously something that uh, Byram has to get engaged early on, but when he has, I mean, he's been tremendous. Not It's not only the, the points, but the plus-minus. He's out there. He did block a shot. Uh, he, he wasn't just shooting pell-mell. He only took two shots in the game. Uh, got the assist. But, yeah, there is something about getting him engaged early into the offense, and then the juices start flowing. And then he's engaged on defense. Well, and the avalanche, when he, Byram is like that, we talked about this before the beginning of the season. Bowen Byram is, not among, is the avalanche's single biggest X factor. Because if he plays like a young star defenseman. The way he did in the 22 playoffs on the way to the cup. On a lower pair, the avalanche's offense and defense completely oh, changes. Absolutely. They are literally a different team if Bowen Byron plays like he did during that cup run. The fewest minutes played by a defense pairing yesterday for the Avalanche, played by Byron and Johnson, they were by far the best defense Byron pairing. and Johnson combined for a goal and three assists. They were plus five. They were tremendous. And so if Byron continues to be engaged, because you're not worried about McCarr, down year for him, still not bad year for normal mortals, Taves has looked good. Taves was good yesterday. He was good Very yesterday. Good. Uh, Gerard and Manson, their, their pairing is less no, about they, they offense were, than you'd expect. Yeah, but they, but yeah, they have no, not but been they were, fine. They were plus They've been responsible one defensively. And they Occasionally, were fine. Gerard bounces up and Manson does rip some slappers from the point from time to time and, and gets points. But if, if Byram can start to look like a young star again, the way the avalanche function is completely different. And it couldn't come at a better time. Because one way or another... If Bowen Byram looks like he's turned the corner and has gotten back to his form, then the Avs are great. They're great whether they keep him or they're great whether they trade him. Because if he's playing well, you'll get more. Now, the challenge is if he's playing well, I don't think the Avalanche want to trade him even the slightest because you don't want to trade young, talented defensemen. But it's nice to have the leverage. And the better Byram is playing now, the better it is for the Avs in literally every possible way. Well, the three stars yesterday, now, you know, number one star is the game-winning goal scorer, and that was Taves. Uh, Probably no, wasn't the best number, player on the ice. Number that, but he was two was Johnson, fine. number three was McKinnon. Yep. I would submit that Bo Byram, now, I don't know about a one star, but deserved either a two or a three. Mm -hmm. I, I really thought so. I, I mean, I know it's a defenseman in a 4-3 game, and yeah, okay, Uh you're, you're not going to give goal, either goaltender a star. And you're not going to. Although give, you know what, Georgiev, uh, I think deserves a star unless he scores a game-winning goal or has a multi-point game, which Johnson did. I mean, the top two stars are defensemen. I don't think Taves and Johnson were necessarily the two best defensemen for the Avalanche yesterday. If Byron wasn't the best one, he was. He was number two, uh, maybe behind Taves. I honestly thought so. I mean, he did, and and for production per minute on the ice. Two assists in 16 minutes, 53 seconds. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty good. Real solid. I mean, McKinnon had two points in his usual 23-33. Uh, Ratnan played, what, 24-45? Uh, I thought it was a good game for Drouin yesterday. Another, uh, that's another his assist best game for him in a while. 19-11. Well. Yep. Uh, I thought Lackanen, more than uh, almost 21 minutes, played well on the second line with Colton and Wood. Uh they, they put Joe Hansen on the third line with Parise and Kibby Ronson. Actually, I thought that was a pretty good line yesterday. And the fourth line hardly played except for Kyle Gaiano's 10-22. Um, 
Olafson on the wing, and Chris Wagner, who has right. missed the year with an Achilles uh, injury up to this point, coming back. He sustained the injury, what, over the course of the summer? I think he tore it. And, and uh, maybe late last year, I'm not sure. But in any case, first game he's played, if I'm not mistaken, for the Avalanche this year, coming off the Achilles injury. And, yeah, 619, not very much ice time, but I thought he played well. Yeah. I, I, I thought he was okay when he was out there. Yeah, and he was I mean, a plus one. It, it'll, it's, uh, I want to save a little credit for Alexander Georgiev, who reached that 90% number, that he, just barely 27 out of 30, got that 90%. Yeah. But the part that I liked, Sandy, and I thought it was especially late, he had 27 I, saves. Yeah, fourteen of them were power play saves. Yeah, he was yeah. he was tasked he was with good. Saying, as they uh, say, he, a high danger yeah. opportunities yeah. for was, the Coyotes. He was good now, and he was he was up to the task. The Coyotes did get a power play goal, but they had six chances. So you'll take one for six in defending an opponent's power play, and the Azero for four again. Uh, the power play is struggling. Uh, it's it it been seven games since the break of yeah. one power play goal. In those seven, I don't know if it's one for 18, 19, 20, whatever it is, it's bad. Uh, but um, I, I would agree with you, and I, I, I didn't love either of the first two goals that put him behind 2-1 at the end of the first period, but I thought in periods two and three, he was excellent. Yeah. He, he really was. Uh, he had I, especially, little or I no chance in, in on the period third goal. Three, I thought, I thought he was third period really was good. great. Uh, he, he, was, he was terrific when they were shorthanded. I, I found little to no fault with his game in the last 40 minutes. The Avalanche will take on the best team in the league, the Vancouver Canucks, on Wednesday. At the top of the hour, Eric Dean of Miley Sports will join us to take a quick look at that after seeing the win this weekend. I want to remind you, of course, that uh, even though the Colorado home market's been crazy for, for years and years and years, that there is a way to navigate it, and it's easy. You can just talk to my friends David Mark at Key Real Estate Group's Colorado Luxury Home Team. When I say Colorado Luxury Home Team, it doesn't mean you have to be in the market for a luxury home. You certainly can. They've got you covered there. But it means that no matter what you're getting, condos to castles, you get that high-end luxury service, buying or selling. Uh, David Mark are experts in the Colorado markets. They know how to ride the highs and lows. Experienced and stable. They've been in the same offices for more than 25 years. It's as stable as anybody gets. This year, the Fed's expected lower interest rates, so beat the competition. Buy your new home before that buying frenzy returns to Denver. Maybe you're thinking of a new build. That makes sense, too. Home builders are offering great incentives right now. Let David Mark represent you to make sure you're getting all of those, everything that you deserve. Call David Mark at the Key Real Estate Group today at 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST. Or visit them at keyrealestategroup.com. Sandy, we know the Denver Broncos have a monumental offseason in front of them. They're back on the quarterback carousel. But the quarterback has to have someone to throw to, right? The Broncos' second biggest need might not be as big of a gap from their top, especially when you look at the teams that were playing in the Super Bowl. I'll explain next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. 
The Denver Broncos finished eight and nine. I had some fascinating discussions with uh, with some fans this weekend on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling yeah. it. Uh, you mean you're on it, but you're still not comfortable with X. I'm not either. Yeah, and I'm not I, I just really call, on it. I just call it Twitter. Look, yeah. you know, I, I still call where the Broncos play mile high. Nobody ever gets lost. I mean, they they, no. they, they know what I'm talking about. I just call it Twitter. The uh, I mean, Elon's not writing me a check to say it different. So, you know, I'm available, by the way. It's Estrotar. If he has a check he wants to send out, I'll discuss it. But having some discussions with fans over the course of, of the weekend, there is still very much a, a segment of the, the Broncos population, which I totally get it. The fandom that is uh, in Sean Payton, we trust. They went 8-9. They Russell Wilson was very good. Now it's going to work out. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and my you, reaction you was... You talk to fans who uh, feel very differently yeah, from the ones I talk to. And at to, times, I, I, I sometimes feel like I, I shouldn't engage. But you know what? I feel like my role here is a consumer advocate and uh, yeah. analyst. Um, I, I try to take that seriously and engage well, with people. It, but, it can fool some of the people all the time, I guess. You know, the, the idea and what I, I said specifically was a the, the notion that it was asked, why is George Payton still around if his draft picks have not produced? And I borrowed. Sean Payton's scapegoat. Yeah, and I, I said, well, you know, someone has to take the fall when yeah. the Broncos, the Broncos Wilson. don't make the playoffs this year. And yeah. uh, it's not going to be Sean Payton, who, by the way, you talk about the picks from last year. Those were Sean Payton picks, not yeah. George Payton picks. That's right. George Payton may have, you know, dialed the number uh, to, to say we're picking him, but Sean Payton made those right. picks. And he's going to make these picks, too, make no yes. mistake. But not only are you looking for a new quarterback, but there is a gaping hole in the Denver Broncos, and it is at the tight end position. Oh, Adam Troutman led the team in receiving among tight ends at 204 yards. Now, to his credit, he did have three touchdowns, which was More uh, than good Jerry for third Judy on had. the team, right? Uh, only Cortland Sutton and Brandon Johnson with four had more. But when you're talking about catches... And you're talking about yards. I mean, it's 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 sort of remarkable. I mean, Sutton, Judy, P. Ryan, Williams, Julian McLaughlin, an undrafted third-string rookie running back, and then Adam Troutman, your starting tight end, tied with Marvin Mims, who basically couldn't get on the field unless he was returning punts. Yeah. That's where Troutman was, and he was by far the best offensive weapon the Broncos had at tight end. He's a free agent. I'm presuming if you want to bring Adam Troutman back, you probably can. I don't think the 204 yards is going to turn him into a, a, a huge uh, need for a lot of teams in free agency. But the problem is, if you're Adam Troutman and you did have three touchdowns and you did prove that you could start, there are other teams that might take a peek at you and offer the same money the Broncos have that are better than the Broncos. So let's not assume the Troutman's coming back. Dulcich has had uh, seemingly a series of hamstring injuries that has been unending. And beyond that, you have a blocking tight end in Chris Manhurts, and now already the Broncos are turning their attention to Lucas Kroll, who they added and at least looks the part physically, and undrafted tight end Nate Adkins last year. But th- these guys are not. I, I have no beef. I have no beef guys. with Lucas Kroll. If Lucas Adkins. Kroll is the Broncos' starting tight end, you don't have a tight end. Well, and no, you don't have a tight end. And listen. The biggest indicator, and I know it's a subjective exercise, but the biggest indicator that the Broncos have a loft problem, as Greg Norman once said in a Mm. different context, in a story we tell frequently on this program, although we can't tell it as completely as we'd like. (laughs) Right. 
um, loft problem, meaning this was at the old international, Greg Norman's playing in the pro-am. Last hole, amateur comes up to Norman. They played 17 holes together and says, hey, um, you have any tips you could give me? And Norman says, yeah, you have a loft problem. The guy says, what do you mean, loft problem? You mean like clubs are not lofted properly or whatever? Mm -hmm. And Norman turns to him, sneering, says, lack of freaking talent, except he didn't say freaking. Yeah. Um, That's also, this is also my golf game problem. But, but, okay, here's the problem and the lack of talent. The uh, The Broncos have a loft problem. What's the best illustration of that? Randy Mueller of The Athletic undertook a project of, that must have required oh, hours and hours of film study. You know, he's a former general manager and knows the business, been part of the NFL for decades, and now writes for The Athletic, analyst for The Athletic. And he rated the top 150 prospective free agents, one through 150. Mm-hmm. No, I'm be Broncos are on that list. Out of the top three. 150. Three. 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 That's Out of the top not 150. Good. And I, I'm sorry I would respectfully disagree with him on the first one of those three that he has ranked 15th overall. Yeah. He makes Lloyd Cushendary sound like he's a perennial all pro. Yeah. And I completely disagree. And here's what Mueller said about Cushing. Nearly as good a player as Mueller. Yeah, the the 15th overall in the rating there said Cushingberry has the combination of strength and agility that everyone looks for in a center. He's now added a body of work to his resume and has shown improvement each season. He consistently stains contact with controlling upper body strength and active feet among impact. He's a really good player and appears likely to hit the market given how much Denver has invested elsewhere up front. What do you Look, think? And here's, <laughs> and here's the thing. I'm one of the guys that the second the, that actually was lobbying for the Broncos to draft Lloyd Cushenberry. I, I, as was corner. I. I. I thought, right. you know, as a captain of the national championship team, quarterback by Joe, Joe Burrow, Burrow. Right. That, that was good enough for me. I thought it was a good pick, and I think he is a good player. But to make him he into has, a really good player right. and cite only these things that he allegedly does well, Mainly I, the I snap just think percentage, you know, that. and I think yeah, I, I agree. Now, I think Cushenberry, we've talked about it. I think he's gone because he is at least proven to be durable and he's eminent, he's eminently coachable. He's a likable guy with a very good football mind. The problem has generally been sustaining strength. And as a result, someone is going to want him and willing to pay more than the Broncos. And I agree with that, that he is gone. So that's one of them. That's on that list, and he's really high. But fifteenth overall, but I don't know. But he's here, not coming back. Here's where I think Mueller is more in line with what I would do in placing the other two among the top 150. Number 89, the aforementioned Adam Troutman, 89? at the age of 27. Uh, 89. That's pretty far back in the past. But the funny thing is, there's 32 teams. I mean, that's. Well, Adam Troutman is going to get backup tight end money. The question right. is, does Adam Troutman? They, they treat him here like he's a star, though. And it, and and there, Mueller is right. Mueller is a running well, tight end. He's a guy. Uh, you know, he catches. We saw him do it this year. He he does have good hands. Mm-hmm. He caught three passes for touchdowns. One was a circus catch. Oh yeah, of those three. 
And at number 128, you have the colossally overrated Josie Jewell at the age of 29. And I agree with Mueller's assessment of Jewell is a paint-by-the-numbers guy who's a smart player. He's always well-positioned, but he won't do one ounce more than the scheme calls for him to do. He just doesn't have the ability to do it. Right. He can't cover you, me, or Danny. Well, he I def- mean, he, he definitely can't he, cover he Danny. Might, he might be able to cover Danny. I don't think he can. Well, I mean, Danny's, uh, Danny's, Danny's a big guy. And he's a basketball he's a, player. Yeah, he's you know, a basketball it's just a little guy. Jewel could probably push him around a little bit. Maybe a little. Um, but that's it. And they have more than three unrestricted free agents. Uh, yeah. They, they, they have three. One is considered a premier free agent, and that's Cushenberry. And he's gone. The other two. He's leaving. Are, uh, Troutman's barely in the top 100. And Jules number 128 out of 150. Right. I mean, are you kidding me? And look at the other guys on that list. I mean, there are four, five, six, seven players from certain teams. Broncos have three, and two of them are in the top 88. It's just not that talented a team. And at the tight end spot, look, I, maybe, maybe, Greg Dulcich all of a sudden becomes healthy and maybe he adjusted the NFL game this summer, but that's a lot of ifs and it would be foolish to go into that. You have to go to the point now, unfortunately, where you have to assume, okay, the injuries didn't work out. Dulcich didn't work out. If it, something happens to come of it, happens. great. That's it happens great. that injuries derail a career. It happens all right. the time. And it happens that maybe maybe the who get over it. Maybe this year will be healthy and it changes. It's possible. But if you're the, if you're the Broncos, you can't make that move. The other on that list of the free agents, Number 30 is Hunter Henry. The Broncos aren't going to go shopping. They've already made it clear they're not shopping at the top rack. They're going to the bottom right. rack. Right. You could get Noah Fant back. He's 60. I think you've been there, done that. Dalton Schultz at 64. I wouldn't have an issue with that, quite frankly. I uh, had a chance to talk to him out at Super Bowl. Liked him a lot, but I think. The, oh, I like him. I also I, think you know, the uh, Texans like him and probably will retain right. him. Then you have Mike Jasicki, who has kind of been a little bit yeah, like. I, like Dulcich with yeah, with a more more body of yeah, work, I guess. But it's kind of the same it, thing that he, he. But I thought yeah. he, you know, I I thought he was good in Miami. Once he left, he's Irv he's Smith Junior. Austin Hooper, no. Jeff Swain, no. no. no they, they, it, you know, they may sign one of those guys as Troutman's replacement. Uh, I, I guess we're up to me. Uh, Troutman's as good as any of them. In in my opinion, I just bring Troutman back. I don't think he'd command a uh, a huge salary, but uh, it, to me, Jewel is gone. Cushenberry's gone. Yeah. Um, I happen to like Irv Smith Jr., but we're talking. Yeah, but yeah, we're talking I, just I like him. Beauties in the eye of the beholder. I don't think he's a you know franchise changing guy. But you, you're looking at that bargain well, basement. But I know, mean, it, when you it, look at the this only the situation for the have, Broncos, they just don't, there's no. The only shot they have to improve the position is if somehow. Brock Bowers of Georgia is there can, when they pick number can 12. Can you overall. draft him 12 when you don't even have a quarterback? I don't. Oh, I I think you could. I think I I think the, I kind of think the, you could the, too. The injuries this year may push him down just far enough. Yep. I say may cuz without the injuries he's certainly a top 10 pick and maybe a top 5 pick without the injuries he had this year. Yes. But with the injuries, maybe he slides down to 12. And 
and I think he'd be worth it. Best player available. Yep. Position of need. Position of need. Tight end qualifies. And at I'd a position it. at the NFL right now that has essentially become unguardable if you have the right guy. And all you have to do is look over at George look Kittle, two teams Travis Kelsey, see where they're at. The, the teams with the top tight ends, massive advantages. So perhaps the Broncos could go that route. The Avalanche get a win against the Coyotes this weekend. Then, uh, well, we'll find out where they're really at because the big, bad Vancouver Canucks, and no, I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. You may not have been paying attention. They are legit. Arif Dean will join and us from Mile High Sports. by a lot. The yeah, only team in hockey lot. that's anywhere near 80 points. They're right at 80. They've Incredible. 12-point lead on the Vegas Golden Knights, folks. On their division, they're dangerous. We'll talk Stanley about Cup champions. Yeah, the last time I we'll talk about the uh, matchup there with Arif Dean and Mile High Sports, and we'll do that next.